the bravest, the most vulnerable. Imagine what it takes to come and ask for help. And we're giving them dinty more beef stew and bruised bananas that have come 10 days off of a, a supermarket shelf. How can this be? I've witnessed firsthand. We're bordering New Jersey. It's called the Garden State. <laughs> so that really was the moment where I said, what I am seeing is not okay. What can I do about it? Expanding possibilities, the mindset zone. I'm your host, Anna Malikian. And before we start with today's show, please remember to visit mindset.com. Zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. Today, our special guest is Kathy Snyder. She's the founder of Rolling Harvest Food Rescue in New Hope, Pennsylvania. Kathy is dedicated to raising awareness about the hidden face of local hunger, food waste, and food insecurity, and she offers leadership through public speaking engagements on actions we can all take to nourish our neighbors in need. Welcome to the Mindset Zone, Kathy. Thank you so much for this invitation. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. And I share the same enthusiasm here because we were introduced by um, a common friend that uh, had introduced me a lot about your work on the rolling harvest. And I find fascinating that um, you start this organization about 10 years ago, correct? That's right. Yeah, you are going to be celebrating soon, possibly when this is going to be published, you already celebrate the 10-year anniversary mark there. And the challenge that you are trying to solve uh, uh, with this organization is not a new one, unfortunately, because it's all about how to help uh, food insecure populations. And we know that they are everywhere. Uh, maybe some of us are not aware of the dimension of this problem, but you seem that you are very aware of the problem and you decide to do something about it. So tell us a little bit about how all this started. Well, I wasn't aware to the extent I am now. Ten years of peeling back the layers and exposing realities of people living in poverty, people living in food with food insecurity, the disparity between the foods and the health that I was able to enjoy when I started, simply because I had two things I took for granted. I had a car, so I had a means of transportation, and I had some disposable income. I was really naive enough 10 years ago not to understand that this is not what many people can take for granted of to be able to access the healthy foods that they need for their family, for their enjoyment, for their health. And there was, a, a, what was, because usually there is like a situation, there are something that we suddenly realize, oh, something, uh, there was anything that made you think about this problem? Yes, there was definitely an aha moment. I remember it clearly. And in fact, it was about 12 years ago. 
So I was volunteering at a food pantry. And uh, fortunately, I believe the purpose and the function of food pantries, most of your listeners, I'm sure, have even maybe done a food drive for a local food pantry or visited. So that's not a concept that is unfamiliar. And that is society functioning uh, to help get food to people who can't normally access it. But my aha moment came from the community I live in, New Hope, Pennsylvania. So it's hard to position it to have you understand this is an area of $6 lattes <laughs> and wedding destinations and people coming from all over the country to experience these beautiful river towns and, and nature and antique shops, this kind of bucolic, idyllic life. Yet under the surface of that, I was volunteering at a food pantry. So the first peeling back that led me to my aha moment was, what do you mean there's two food pantries and a shelter within a mile of where I live? How's that even possible? So peeling back the layers, yes, hunger, food insecurity. In fact, there's not a single zip code in this country that is spared. And we know as we get more involved and we peel back the layers and we peel back the layers, who are the people I was seeing coming in as I was just learning this? Oh my gosh, they were the pastor of the church, the the substitute school teacher, the mailman. These are regular people I know. This is not in any way the face of hunger that I had a stereotype about. And the final aha moment came when I left that shift early on in those, those um, experiences at the food pantry. And I went to a quarter mile away to the New Hope Farmer's Market. And those two things, I had a car and I had maybe $60 that I could spend the luxury of $60 to spend at that farmer's market and go home and have this beautiful, healthy, local, flavorful, colorful, abundant meal with my family. Well, it didn't happen until that very next day when I went back to my shift at the food pantry. And I'm like, oh my God, this is not okay. What I get to experience is not what most people get to experience. How could I have been so blind and then I took a look at the food that we were giving away at that well-meaning food pantry, compared it to the food that I was able to access, and this huge wave came over me like, how in the world can this be okay that I get to eat this way? And the people who are coming to us for help at the food pantry, the bravest, the most vulnerable, imagine what it takes to come and ask for help. And we're giving them dinty more beef stew. And bruised bananas that have come 10 days off of a, a supermarket shelf? How can this be? I've witnessed firsthand. We're bordering New Jersey. It's called the Garden State. <laughs> so that really was the moment where I said, what I am seeing is not okay. What can I do about it? Yeah. And that is because, uh, like you were saying, so many of us, even Odyssey, when there is the food drives in the supermarket, that the, that leave here the, the cans, leave here the starch. So the things that are not, uh, that are more stable to put in a food pantry. And then that are the most things that is available for people, not the fresh food, not the fresh products. And uh, I love uh, what you are, uh, the story that you are telling here, because you realize that, uh, okay, it's so many aspects of it. The thing that uh, under uh, the surface of our communities, and even we are, I'm also very lucky here in Phoenix, Arizona, of living in a very nice neighborhood. I know New Hope, Pennsylvania, how beautiful and idyllic the place is. 
And but people always say there is this complex of the community. People have to work there. People have to commute there. And if the place is beautiful and idyllic and the latte costs $6, who can afford that? And who can afford, who is the person that is serving the latte? So all that things and realizing that there are people that, uh, and that I think is a big, um, like you are saying, ha moment and shock. Uh, we are in the COVID-19 situation, I think, unfortunately, was a wake-up call to many people. It, it's a couple of misfortunes, events. We are not very, we can be them in the sense of people that they lost the way of living for one moment to the other during the COVID-19. And suddenly mm -hmm. they didn't have that disposable income that they were used to have to buy essential things like food or they had to do the hard decisions to pay the electrical bill. They could not uh, go to Whole Foods and, uh, and, and buy the fresh products. Uh, so all that realities is, is really striking. And then is I love your problem solving attitude because you saw, okay, there is a problem you already are trying to be part of the solution to that problem. But you're, you are saying, okay, the solution that we are providing is a kind of half solution. Yes, we are giving them food, but this is not healthy food. Yes, this will help them better than nothing, of course. But can we not do better? Can we not then provide them with healthier food? And you are like saying you are in the gar next to the garden stay state. Exactly. And, uh, so tell us, so how you go from that vision okay of the food market to the pantry and uh, what happened next so what happened next a couple of things and i decided for once in my life to stop talking so much and started listening and this was a great paradigm shift in in the way i approach things i went to that farmer's market where i had that first aha moment that was a quarter mile half a mile away from the food pantry and I would start by thinking, this must be the solution. I'm going to ask them if they can donate, you know, a, a couple heads of kale or if they've got some apples or some corn. And very quickly, I am forever grateful to a farmer at that farmer's market who put her hand up and said, Kathy, please, you're making me feel bad. I can't donate anything. I have to keep everything here to go to another farm market tomorrow. And I apologized if I was seeming overzealous. And I said, what would work for you? She said, if you could come with your van and be at my farm 11 o'clock Wednesday morning, that's when we do our inventory. What is going to market? What can we sell? What do we have to compost and feed the chickens? And where's that in between where it's still healthy and appealing, but we can't get top dollar. And in that case, we would love to donate to you. We have no idea where the need is. You do. And that became the model from that point on. This farmer calling me to task for my approach and then listening. Yes. And that became the model. We now, from that one pantry and that one farm, 10 years later, we have 43 farms and growing. We've got 80 recipient food pantries. We've passed 4 million pounds. And this is legitimately food that would have gone to waste. So it's been an incredible ride, I have to say. 
We are just tapping the surface. We are just scratching the surface because what happens from that one farm saying, come when I'm already looking at what I've harvested to now farmers saying, what do you mean? I can just give you a text message and you'll come with your team of harvested, called glean, harvesters, called gleaners. I send you a text message. You show up next day to pick everything I've left in the fields. And yes, that's our model. And the farmers were blown away by how easy it is. The farmers were blown away that, oh my gosh, all these resources I put into growing this great food. And it was just being left behind in the fields because I had satisfied my own customer base. Let's go slow there because there is so, <laughs> and peel this a little because there is so much here. I love the thing Odyssey. You know that there was a, a, a big, big challenge. You have the, the drive to, okay, I want to find a solution to that. Let me ask. Okay, put that asking gear. Wonderful. And, and I then, do get excited. It's true. Yeah. I get very excited. <laughs> and then you got the first resistance was, no, I, I, this is my living. I cannot donate from this because this is what I do to feed my own family. Exactly. And but I love that, 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 oh, this doesn't work. No, by keeping the dialogue going, by listening, the, like the innovation uh, came up of, but, or if you come at this time, when I do this, okay, I select what is to come here and what is to give to the chickens and what is in between, maybe I can donate that. You gave enough, enough time for something to percolate and come as an option there. And you say, okay, I will be there. And that is the thing, because sometimes understanding that, I, I, I don't um, know if everybody's aware of the quantity of food that is left on the fields, because they, they are not perfect. They are imperfect food. They are not the right size, or they have a bump, or something that doesn't look good in the shelf in the supermarket. And they, most of the times, to save them resources for the farmers, they just pick the ones that conform with the norm and leave the other ones to rotten in the field. They pick the food they know will sell. Yes, exactly. And that is part of an opportunity to change the dialogue for the average consumer. Embrace the wonky. The carrot with three legs is going to taste just as delicious in that super salad. Allow the farmer to sell everything they grow, and that creates a much more sustainable food system for everyone. Yeah, I still remember my dad was, um, he was at a full-time job in Portugal, where I'm originally from, but uh, we had also a farm with uh, plants and animals, um, and uh, he loved new things, so he used to have kiwis. He, he got the kiwi trees there, and mm -hmm. the, the sweetest ones were the ones that were uh, like double, that were not perfect, were the sweetest ones. So sometimes we are living just because they look perfect. And the, the thing there for, for you of taking advantage of the opportunity, then you build this organization that is really a logistic organization. You manage, like you're saying, with the text, going with the text make life easy for the farmers. They already have enough things in their plate and it's hard enough to be a farmer nowadays, or uh, I will even, we can say uh, for a long, long time, uh, but they, they are giving people, they really, okay, if there is for waste and something can be done with it, they are all for it. 
So you made their life easy and with your volunteers. So they send you a the farmer sends a text message, then you take your volunteers and they harvest the field. And then you have the something to give to people that are food insecure, that is much healthier. That's exactly the model. And I realized early on, the only way this is going to work, if we are completely responsive to the farmers and let the farmers dictate to us what they need, what is their comfort level? How many people can we bring on your farm? Should we in include children to the glean or would you rather not? What day, what time works for you? And that really became the the most important ingredient for the success of our of our ability to rescue all of this food and not leave it behind. Well, I mean, you've got one in five children still hungry in this country, and we could talk about COVID and how it's impacted the entire um, operation with government getting into food, really getting into food rescue um, on a much larger scale. Many silver linings, by the way, yeah. of COVID. And at the same time, this was not the only challenge that you have to overcome because, okay, you find a really an innovative solution. Let me uh, uh, organize volunteers. Let me make life easy to the farmers. Let's go there and pick up the food. Now you have all these beautiful, even and perfect but still beautiful veggies and uh, all this produce and now you have the population that is food insecure that needs it but there was another challenge there correct many many yeah. challenges yes but one of the challenges that many people didn't knew what to do with that those vegetables <laughs> early on i i can laugh about it now but early on we were kind of euphoric over what what solution we were bringing to a problem of food access and not realizing that if you have a random food pantry getting mustard greens and kohlrabi and you just drop it off that's not helping anyone they have no idea what it is why it's good for them how to prepare it how to store it so yeah i realized absolutely a thousand percent we needed to create nutrition education team to go out into the field and everyone who's receiving this food will never again have to worry what it is or why it's so delicious. We will teach them, we will show them, and none of that food will end up in landfill, which was the whole start not to leave the food behind. So uh, I believe we in our own small way through this have eliminated what was the cause of our own contribution to food waste when we were trying to do the opposite. And that so that problem solving kind of approach. Okay, there is a challenge. Let's find a solution. There is the next challenge. Let's find a solution. And I love because one of the persons that we know in common is Vicky. That is one of her jobs in the organization. Is exactly that. She's a nutritionist. She has all the the training as a health coach, and she brings her incredible knowledge of food. Uh, and to end our love of cooking, because if we ever had the privilege of eating her food, we know how amazing she is. But she brings she so much heart to the <laughs> oh, work. Yes. Too. yes. And uh, she's passionate about teaching people uh, to, and you, a part of the part of the organization is that that education element. Okay, now you have this strange thing. Uh, what do you do with it? 
and in a way that you don't need the food processor or that kind of expensive things that many people don't have in their kitchens. Yes. And we also have the privilege of working in our local agricultural area here in the Northeast, Pennsylvania and New Jersey. We have the privilege and the honor of working with so many small organic farms that are also passionate about making sure that their own food is not going to waste now that we've given them the logistics. And we will get very exotic things, even something that might be familiar to your listeners, like an heirloom tomato. If you don't know, it can look like it's diseased. <laughs> and even something as glorious as all the personalities of the different heirloom tomatoes. This takes some behavioral nudges to explain or even just offer a taste and tell people, this is how Mother Nature creates food. This is what we're offering you. And please, please enjoy it. I, and trust me, even here, I try to buy organic. And the other day, speaking about heirloom tomatoes, the tomato was that not red, red, was that more brownish color. And I saw my husband looking to it. What is this? And I said, no, it's not genetical modified. That is the real thing. Yes. <laughs> Yes, exactly. There's so many. I mean, the, the food that we offer, it's it's so appealing. It's it's beautiful. It's interesting. And it's not just a boost for nutrition. It's, it's a boost to your mood. And it connects you more with nature in a way that we're offering much more than just basic nutrition, I believe. There's so much value in this work. And I would love to see more gleaning organizations pop up around the country. There's not that many of us, but there there might be 150 organizations around the country now, possibly. So tell us a little bit, because you are based in New Hope, Pennsylvania, you serve very, because you do that the local connection, the community uh, uh, between the local farmers and the, the people that live in different areas there that have this need. Uh, so what is the counties that you your organization serves? Well, we are we started out primarily in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and it's the third most populous. Of, uh, there's more than 60 counties in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's the third most populous. It's the third wealthiest. And yet, yet there is still 11 percent food insecurity. Wow. So the message there is, yes, it is happening in wealthy suburbs. It is not just um, a citywide issue or um, any particular demographic or zip code. I mean, any zip code, it's it's everywhere. So the message that we start in Bucks County, and believe it or not, overcoming the lack of awareness that this can happen right in your um, backyard. backyard. That's a big part of why we have to advocate and, and raise awareness. And people, they want to know. They want to know that this is happening because people are compassionate. It might be hard for them to believe, but we have the numbers. We have the stories. We have the narrative. We see these people on the front lines coming for help. And we see these children. So Bucks County, and then we've branched out to parts of Montgomery County, a neighboring county, a little bit into Philadelphia, which, is, of course, is the city most people know. But then because we are bordering the beautiful Delaware River in New Jersey, there are two bordering counties, Hunterdon County and Mercer County, where we are able to continue to have a much bigger impact than when we started. Wonderful. So if people know, uh, want to know more and even help is the rollingharvest.org. 
and I will make sure that I put that on the show notes, but rollingharvest.org. Tell me a little bit about, how do you say, uh, because you are saying that there are other organizations now doing this. Uh, so if somebody is listening, tell us a little bit how this movement has spread and how do you help or inspire other people in other parts in the country and even other countries, because this is not unique to the United States. Well, Rolling Harvest Food Rescue, we've been lucky enough to be invited to many conferences. And it was only about eight years ago that there was the very first food weights conference in the country. It was at University of Pennsylvania. It was called Last Food Mile. I'm bad with yours. I believe it was maybe eight years ago. And now this is a sector that has gotten so much innovation, so much growth, more and more people are coming with solutions to food waste and hunger relief um, through this kind of work, through making sure that perfectly adequate food is not going to landfill, that making sure that everything that's produced is being used for both the consumer and the charitable food supply chain. So the the fact that there may be 128 gleaning organizations now, the fact that five years ago on the cover of um, National Geographic was a whole thing about food too good to waste. And since then, it's it's exploded. There are many people who do what we do, but have also created income-generated models to get imperfect food from farmers and sell it at a 30% discount. Some organizations you may have heard like Hungry Harvest or Imperfect Produce on the West Coast, Misfits Markets on the East Coast. All of this is a very exciting um, addition to solutions. So, And there is any website that people or what will be the term, terms that people will Google to find in their own areas more about this? For us, they will Google gleaners. Gleaning, it's straight from the Bible of making sure that the corners of the fields were left by the farmers for the poor and the hungry to come. What we are is a modern day gleaning organization because we have developed now where we live in cities, we're not connected to nature. So these are, we are referred to as a gleaning organization. It's hunger relief, it's food rescue. And one parting thought I wanna give you is Rolling Harvest Food Rescue, we will never say we're going to cure hunger, we're going to solve hunger. It's a much bigger issue that's tied with many, many layers of, of public policy and social policy. What we're going to do is make things a little less stupid and not let really good food go to waste while people need it. And the most respectful way you can serve people who come to food pantries is give them the best choices, give them the most nutritious choices. That's our take on food justice. And give them the 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 resources and the education that they need to really taking advantage of all the nutrients and all the healthy aspect that having that even how do you say for the kids that you were speaking if they have access to healthier food that helps them to learn better that helps them to do better in school it's like uh, uh, the cycle changing the cycle that you're speaking of the uh, social justice to give them a better chance of uh, thriving in so many ways in so many ways. You know, parents who have access to better food have fewer sick days from work. They become more dependable, reliable, participating employees. Their health costs are lowered. We could lower health costs in this country by making this healthy food available to everyone by billions of dollars. Yeah. We can do 
better. And I think the more people know about this, the more they're going to really want to be part of this in some small way. Because I think one very interesting thing, how the ripple effect of this kind of movements is that even just volunteering there and giving their time, becoming more aware of the problem, and even learning, because I, I bet that there are volunteers there that never before being in the farm picking up the produce that are looking to some of the veggies and say, what is this? What do I do with that? And they see the recipe that uh, uh, is given away with the boxes and they go, "Mm, maybe I can try this at home too. So is that ripple effect that happens that is some beauty. So, and I presume that there are people that, are in the lines and receiving this help, but if their life circumstances change for the better, then volunteer there to help others. So there is all this beautiful uh, movement that is happening. Do I have time for one comment? Yes. So one of our favorite volunteers, um, her name is Penny. I won't say any more than that. Penny is 82 years old. She was a recipient of one of our many different distribution models at subsidized HUD building, senior housing for uh, disabled and, um, and impoverished seniors. So Penny was a recipient who started seeing what we were bringing in to the community room at her senior center, 140 apartments. She found a lift in her spirit. She started asking, could she take some and create meals for everyone in her building who doesn't know how to cook? And that became the start of it. Then she started joining us in the fields at some of the farms nearby. She is one of our most devoted uh, volunteers now. And she said, (laughs) Rolling Harvest has changed my life. I thought my future was alone in a rocking chair. No, thank you. Thank you. Because it's, it's, it's this, it's this ripple effect we really can have an impact out there and make a difference and help other people and change ourselves in the process so thank you thank you that is amazing so again if people want to learn more go to rollingharvest.org i will put this on the show notes and uh, uh, they can uh, contact you also if they want to learn more about these organizations. And I think you would like to say something else. Go ahead. We do have wonderful content, Rolling Harvest Food Rescue on Facebook, where we can share pictures and very, very current. Um, I'd love people who might be interested to check that out and really see all the different ways that gleaning organizations can do the business that's needed to get yeah. the food out to where it's needed. And that is the volunteer, is the donations, is the sharing in social media about these things to get people more aware. And one more thing that we've been honored to mentor many other geographic regions, people in other geographic regions who want to start their own gleaning programs. And please have them reach out to me or info at rollingharvest.org. And I promise we will get back to you. You can benefit from mistakes we have made and learned from. You can benefit from some of the things we figured out and, and done right. We can we can really save you time to get this up and running in your own region. Love it. Love it. Keep that ripple effect going. So Thank you, thank you for your time. And uh, this was magical. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anna. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. And remember to visit Mindset.Zone. 
Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world. Thank you.